Ciao ragazzi and welcome again to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is. I'm Frank Ravello. Glad to have you all along with us. Uh, also glad to uh, share a table with my co-host once again, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing on this uh, Monday, I guess it is? We keep getting estranged from each other. You That's know? true, yeah. Going weeks without It makes us yearn together. for each other more, I guess. <laughs> What's that? I said, I guess it makes us yearn for each other more. <laughs> I have no yearning going on in this. I'm just telling you that right now. So, that's all you. Uh, uh, truth comes so, out. Yep. So, but uh, but no, it was it was good. I, you know, and I know that uh, um, you had you and you and Critty did a great job a couple weeks ago, and then uh, we had a great uh, Milan discussion with uh, David Fonte, president of Milan Club Philadelphia, and Michael Lisi. Want to thank all you gentlemen for uh, uh, stepping in and helping us out the last couple of weeks. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, uh, means a lot to us. We'll try to get all of you guys on again, obviously. So, um, I do want to talk about Kobe Bryant, though, Richard. Um, yeah, because yeah. I think that this is still weighing heavily on everybody. Um, and uh, I uh, got a text from my brother, uh, you know, after bringing the kids home uh, from going to some uh, indoor trampoline park where they could just bounce around a little bit and wear their little legs out. But uh, I get a text from my brother saying that uh, Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter crash. And, you know, I probably reacted like everybody else would have reacted, like, get the hell out of here. But uh, as you're looking for news and you're looking for sources and you're looking and, and dev- all of a sudden devoting your time trying to figure out what the heck is going on. It just starts to sink in that that just becomes a reality. And by no stretch of the imagination was I a, you know, a Kobe Bryant fan, but I always respected and admired uh, his competitiveness, his desire to win and his ability to bring it on the court. And where and, and I guess I, I understand that this is basketball that he played, but I think we're talking about sport all encompassing now. Yeah. Uh, and we're talking about a man who not only transcended basketball, but he transcended sport. Did he do some really stupid things when he was younger? Yes. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about them. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I, you know, when something like this happens and when a tragedy happens, I mean, the one of the things that you just, process you know and it's not hard to do for me being nearly 45 years old you yourself being in your late 30s so we're kind of around the age in which kobe passed yeah um you just start evaluating your own mortality um and you start thinking well what what is my purpose and 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 what am i here for uh and and what is still there for me to do and and if i'm going to do it i better damn well be all in on it so um you know, because you never know when you never know when things are going to happen. You never know. You can never prevent uh, an you know a sudden tragedy or an unexpected tragedy. Um, and you know, this news hit me a lot harder than I thought it was going to. You know, as the day goes on and you process it, and you think about his daughter that was with him, you think about an entire fam, another entire family that was that that perished in that crash, and everything is gone, and a lot of lives out there, you know left to try to pick up the pieces of all of that. Forget about those that were just fans. So um, it's, 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 it's still 
something that's kind of difficult to process. I'm astonished that the National Basketball Association carried on with their games yesterday. Um, shocked, shocked. Yeah, that. I mean, I guess it's <laughs> if there's anything redeeming about Lega Calcio and Serie A was that they know when their players aren't going to be in the mood to play and they cease games accordingly. And most recent examples, Davide Astori's passing. Yeah. Uh, and then prior to that, the, uh, the, the disaster in Genoa with the bridge, um, the name of the bridge escapes me and I should know it. And I apologize to, uh, to those Genovese out there. Um, but you know, they canceled games. They postponed games involving Genoa, Based team. So Sampdoria's match was canceled. Genoa's match was canceled. Um, because who in that town really wants to watch a football match when they're dealing with tragedy? So, you know, when you have a fraternity of players that are told, no, you, you know, we're not canceling anything. You still got to go out there and play. And, you know, I, I credit those players for playing with heavy hearts. So um, Kobe was a soccer fan. Uh, a Calcio fan. He actually grew up, I believe, in Italy and, and supported AC Milan and spoke yes, vocally yeah. many times, visited Milanello. We all saw the clip, uh, how he supported uh, Milan and and players like Van Basten and, and Maldini were, were role models for him and were idols for him. So, you know, so there is a little bit of a Calcio connection, you know, to all of this. But I think if anything we, we take from it, it's just a, a further reminder of you know, how important it is that when we're taking things on in life that we're all in on it, you know, whether it's your job, whether it's your hobbies, whether it's your relationships, uh, your friendships, um, you know, and I think that that's, you know, when, when things like this happen, I only just continue to take, take those things, uh, from it, you know, and you try to do things with, um, and I'm struggling to go through talking about this, but uh, you you try you, you you do things with a lot more purpose, and you don't take things as you don't take you don't take things as much for granted. And I certainly, had, you know, as someone that's turning 45 and, and dealing with this, dealing with the loss of a, a good friend about a month ago, right, right. Um, dealing with recovering from knee surgery and all of the things that I can't do right now um, that I used to be able to do and never thought anything of it. You know, you just, it, you know, it puts a lot of that into perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, uh, and it shows you how it, you know, yeah, he was uh, a basketball player, but he, you know, he transcended not only that, but the sport, the sport in general. And like, to show you how a little bit of that is like, my mother knows nothing about, she doesn't watch sports at all. I mean, occasionally like the Redskins or something like that. But, uh, I remember I, I I got a notification from this uh, Dutch app that I had that, that that's how I first found out about it. And like, as soon as I got the update, I got a call from her. She's like, did you hear about Kobe Bryant? I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, what? How do you know about it? I'm like, so she knew about it and she doesn't even watch sports. So I know it'll transcend it more than just, you know, basketball or sports in general. So, and yeah, you can say what you want about it, but it's just, uh, it's just so crazy. And I mean, like you said, he's around our age. Um, and then, so you immediately start thinking about your family, but I mean, I didn't think it was going to hit me as hard as it did either because I ended up watching it all day. Next thing you know, it's 7 o'clock at night. And I'm like, why am I still watching this? Because I turned it off. And um, But, yeah, it just it's just so real. And it's it's so similar for me too because, uh, you know, back in 2011 or whatever it was, you know, the Redskins had one of their players, you know, was murdered. And um, it happened. Sean, at, Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor, yeah. And that yeah. was the same, same, same feeling for me really just because uh, maybe it brought back memories from that or something. I don't know. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, you you put the, you put the words 
as best as I could do it. There's nothing really I could add to it, really. It just something that Kobe said was, you know, cherish life uh, and live life to the fullest. And, uh, I mean, that's what he did, and that's what he would want us all to do. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's he certainly uh, was part of the, the Calcio community, certainly. Uh, I mean, Milan fan, but he, you know, he loved being in Italy. He grew up in Italy. He, he loved Calcio. Uh, he talked about it a lot. So um, it felt it was felt worldwide. You saw what the tributes, uh, you know, Neymar had a tribute when he scored his goal, and uh, a couple others around the world. So um, yeah, it's a it's a tough day for being a sports fan, uh, no doubt about that. And uh, AC Milan play Torino in the Coppa Italia quarterfinals tomorrow, and the plan is that they will have a, a minute's silence. Yeah, in yeah. Kobe Bryant's memory, and I think that's an excellent gesture. I'm seeing rumors that Lega Calcio don't want Milan to do this. I have not seen a actual solid news source reporting that. I've seen that as just kind of speculation by, you know, some up and, you know, some some more, you know, I want I don't want to call them smaller time. I don't want to be disrespectful to them. And just just sites I'm not familiar with. And I hope that's not I hope that's really not the case. Although unfortunately it wouldn't surprise me if it yeah. was the case. But you know, it also if that was, you know, also the flip side of that coin is that it sounds like the San Siro and it sounds like Milan will be defiant to any anything like a Calcio says on this. And they're basically saying, screw you, we're doing this minute silence. So, um, you know, so I think that that's a, a great gesture uh, on the part of uh, uh, the Milan and Torino clubs as they get ready for, uh, you know, playing their Coppa Italia quarterfinal on Tuesday. Uh, so, um so that's really good to see. And hopefully the Lega Calcio will back off and allow him to do it. Uh, so, um, you know, and then maybe in any, you know, eighth minute and in the 24th minute, a minute of applause, uh, you know, much like you see Fiorentina doing in the 13 minute, 13th minute of their games for a story. Um, I think that would be another nice little add on. And I think that that's something that maybe the uh, uh, fan bases of, the Serie A teams that will be hosting matches next weekend can take part in. So uh, yeah, just a suggestion yeah. out there. So um, my favorite sporting moment with Kobe Bryant as far as basketball, and I, I you know, I, you know, I, I know we're, we're a Calcio podcast, but, but spare me a minute to talk about this. Not the 81 against the Raptors and not 61 at Madison Square Garden, all the points and all the shooting that he did. My favorite moment is actually an assist. Um, when he played the alley-oop to Shaq in the oh, Western yeah. Conference Finals against Portland to seal that game and to send the Lakers to a finals that they would they would uh, ultimately go on and win, and it would be his first ring uh, and Shaq's first uh, NBA title as well, um, was my favorite Kobe moment of all the Kobe Bryant that I did watch when, uh, when I watched him play ball. Uh, any Kobe moments standing out to you? I mean, it's pretty much anything that was in the playoffs, really. I mean, it's playoffs is when you really like to enjoy watching sport in general, and he just always performed big time. I mean, he 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 comes a close close to Jordan in terms of competitiveness in, in big games and stuff like that. So it's always great to watch him there. But I think the the sixty sixty points he put up in his final game was just like you know what, going out on the highest note possible, I guess you know. And it was just it was just awesome to see for me. Uh, I'm not like I'm I'm no stretch of a Lakers fan at all, but I do enjoy talented players. Um, whatever, whatever team you play for. So um, that was just uh, something, something great to see on his last game. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I've stopped hating athletes for being good. Yeah, <laughs> Tom yeah. Brady's still the only one. I can't stand him. But you love him? No, I don't. Um, system quarterback, but that's the whole. That's for another podcast. 
Um, our Boston fans are going to be pissed if we've got any. Uh, but anyway, um, it's you know I you know and I, I've gone I've grown more to admire what teams do, what players do with their athletic ability. Um, I think it's probably part of the process of getting a little older and knowing you can't come even close to doing what they're doing now. Um, not that you, not, and not that I even I could when I was at their age. So, um, you know, having a little bit more of a respect for what they can accomplish in an athletic setting. So, uh, you know, and Kobe accomplished a hell of a lot. So, um, so for, for Kobe, this, uh, this one's for you. Uh, thank you for a lot of great memories. Thank you for being a, a statesman for not just basketball, but for all of sport and, uh, rest easy and, and rest in peace. All right, Richard, let's get on to the Calcio, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, let's start with the uh, the marquee game or what became the marquee game, uh, Napoli and Juventus. Uh, you know, going into it, you're probably looking at this, okay, team really struggling mid-table. The champs are in town. They're going to come in and they're going to smash and grab three points. You've got Saudi returning to the San Paolo. You've got Higuain returning to the San Paolo again, um, you know, and all of that, uh, all of that going with it. Uh, a Napoli team that had a little bit of confidence going in after knocking out Lazio in the Coppa Italia uh, and a, a Juventus team that hoped to continue to take advantage of their direct title rival, rivals, Inter and Lazio, each dropping points ahead of this game. So uh, a very intriguing stage to be set. Uh, Napoli came out with a familiar 4-3-3 and they came out with a familiar back four that, you know, we've been pretty critical of. Um with uh, you know merit and goal, but Husai, Manolas, Di Lorenzo deputizing again at center back with Mario Rui. Uh, midfield three of Rui's, Diego Demi, who came over from RB Leipzig, and Pietro Zielinski. And then the front three has been familiar under Gattuso, Calihon, Milik, and Insigne. Um, and then uh, Juve came in with Chesney uh, going Quadrado, Delict, Bonucci, and Alexandro across the back. Uh, midfield of Bentancourt, Pjanic, and Matuidi. Uh, and then in attack, Paulo Dybala, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Gonzalo Higuain. Relatively standard as far as lineups are concerned with, with, with both of these teams as, we're, you know, as we've gotten familiar with under Sarri and are getting to know under Gattuso. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only maybe the only one that was raising eyebrow was uh, Diego Demigan that starts early, but um, he played very well. And um, yeah, I mean, standard lineup for both teams, really. And it, it's certainly for, for Juventus. And they came up with a team that uh, you fully expected seeing the results of Inter dropping points, Napoli, uh, excuse me, Juvent, uh, Lazio dropping points. You think there's no chance that, La- that Juve is not going to win this game, um, especially with that lineup you saw. But uh, things... Uh, that's why they play the game, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why they play the game, indeed. Um, it was a it, the quality, considering the two teams and considering their pedigree. The, the first half for me was meh. You know, I didn't get a whole lot of excitement out of what I was watching between these two teams. Did you? No, and I wonder if it's just you know, you know, two heavyweight mentalities where you're trying to feel each other out, not really want to take too much of a chance, yeah. but also don't want to give up anything, and so they're really just you know kind of seeing each other through. Uh, and then really it wasn't until the second half where Napoli came out strong, and but it was just really a strong, a stronger performance by both teams, I think. For sure, and um, Napoli would go and take the opening advantage in the in the uh, 63rd minute, a shot that. Uh, Wojciech Chesney had trouble dealing with, and it fell 
comfortably to Piotr Zielinski, who would tuck it home and give Napoli the one-goal lead and uh, advantage Napoli at that point. Um, a substitution gets made. Gattuso goes with, and, and, and he really made a lot of like-for-like substitutions in this game. It's kind of been standard with him. We talked about this last week. Um, you know, he did this an awful lot at Milan. He really didn't change his system. He really didn't change his formation. He just wanted to get fresh legs into the same 4-3-3 that he was playing. So in comes, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Diego Demi played extremely well in this game, did get a yellow in the 30th minute, so maybe a safeguard uh, to prevent him getting a second yellow. Stanislav Lobotka comes in for him. Uh, and then uh, Juventus counters by bringing on Douglas Costa for Blaise Matuidi in the 72nd minute. I'm going to talk about that substitution, Richard. I think we can probably blast Saudi for this one. That is a substitution that should have happened about 15 minutes ago. If there's a if there is a goat, not in a good way in this match, it's Matuidi. Yeah, yeah, and really they, the substitution they made 15 minutes before that when we we thought that substitution should have happened was actually, you know, Rabiot coming on for uh, Mirlan Pjanic. So, yeah, Doug, Douglas Costa should have come on then at that point in the game and really give him more opportunity, more time to insert himself in the game because, you know, when he's in the game, he is dangerous no matter what. And so giving him so little time, what, 18 minutes to, to do his stuff is not nearly enough time when you're you're playing a team that's very – uh, disciplined defensively as Gattuso's teams can be. Maybe not so not recently with Napoli, but it's in his pedigree to be very disciplined defensively and trying to not give up too much, too many opportunities. So I thought that was a, a big misstep by Sarri not bringing in Costa earlier. Yeah. Also, also went with uh, Bernardeschi coming on uh, for Paulo Dybala. Were you okay with that one? Yeah, yeah, I was okay with it. Um, maybe, maybe Dybala just ran his legs uh, and used a little tire and it brought fresh in, le- fresh legs in. And Bernadeschi has the talent to to do well. He just hasn't performed well this season. But you know, who knows? In a game like this, he could step up and 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 do something well for uh, Juventus. I mean, we've been critical of Bernadeschi though, and we, he was in our crap on our cracker team. I mean, it's just like for some for some reason in Saudi's system, he just can't connect with Ronaldo and Higuain and just doesn't seem to be on the same page. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's not much on the bench, though. He could have brought in, in, you know, in place of him. I mean, because the Costa was already out there. So, I mean, who else are you going to bring? Ramsey, I guess. But um, I, I would rather. Yes, have actually, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm dead serious. Because in the appearances that Ramsey's made for Juventus, he's been pretty good. True. Um, true. He's been better than Bernardeschi, at least. Uh, so, I mean, if you're going to make a substitution, I'd rather have a tired Dybala than have Bernardeschi at this point. Um, you know, but that's just me. I'm 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 sitting in a basement in Wisconsin doing this podcast. I'm not paid to coach, so. Um, but I can uh, I can rip on what I see if I don't like it. So and there you go. And that's and that's exactly what I did. So, um, you said Demi had a really good game, and then I was particularly impressed with Lobotska when he came on. It just yeah. like oh yeah. It, like nothing got missed there. I was very impressed with how composed he played. I saw him play a few games here and there in La Liga. Um, and, you know, when he was playing in those games, there was not a whole lot I thought of him. And I don't know if it's maybe his game is not a fit for what they do in Spain and might be a better fit for what they do in Italy. And now this is just 21 minutes on a pitch. Um, you know, but he brought 21 valuable minutes. He com- He was very composed. Uh, he was sure in his decision making in terms of ball winning, and when he got the ball, he helped Napoli keep it. He didn't, he didn't go overboard with any decision making. He didn't really put his team in trouble. You know, Michael brought up the point about Frank Kessie's new role at Milan. And said if if 
you're not notice he's Kessie's role at Milan now is if you're not noticing Frank Kessie, it means then it means he's playing well. Yep. Um, and this might be a role for a guy like Labotka that if you know if you're not noticing him or if he's doing things really simple and if he's not making any, making big blunders, then he's playing while he's fulfilling his role. So I was very, whether it was Deme or whether it was Lobotka, that was a very important position for Napoli and, and the combination of those two guys were very, very good. Yeah, both Deme and Lobotka are excellent pickups by Napoli and uh, we'll you know we'll get into more transfers later, but I thought Lobotka picked up right where Deme left off and uh, continued on the great work that he was doing in the midfield. Uh, making it difficult for Juventus to really get anything uh, started, though you know as Juventus does, they did they did start to find the mojo. But uh, Labotka did a very good job while he was in there, uh, trying to mitigate some of that some of the attacking progress that Juventus brought. Napoli would hit on the counter uh, in the 86th minute. Uh, Elmas would try to feed uh, Milik, who. Uh, put the ball across. It could not find anybody, but Callejon comes racing on, prepares the ball, gets across, and a beautiful side volley and goal of the week candidate. It had to be, had to be, if there was going to be a guy that was going to put this thing away for uh, for Napoli, the little Neapolitan himself, Lorenzo Insigne, uh, putting Napoli ahead two goals to nil. And uh, at that moment, I mean, the celebration was just awesome. I mean, yeah, just, yeah. you know, and you knew. time, too. Yeah, him. you knew what it meant to him because this is a guy that, shoots any any time he gets the ball a shot is not out of the question with him I and mean, that's just that's just how it is he will take 18 shots in a game and just get one on target but the one on target will probably go in you know um and uh in this in this instance a beautiful side volley to score this goal and uh well he took three shots in this game uh two on target but there are games where he just unloads uh, but in this case, he he took the chance well. It was a it's a that's a difficult ball to finish, um, you know, with the cross coming in like that. And you have to use you know you 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 got to bring your shoulder down. You got to get your foot up over to to be able to execute that technique. Um, and it was finished really well. Bounced went in two uh, nil Napoli, and uh, the celebrations were, uh, were were celebrations were beginning, and Napoli were uh, ready to pull off the shock. Yeah, I mean, technically that is such a difficult finish to make because um, the b- way the ball is coming at you, he's almost leaning back as well and going for that volley. And he made the contact, hit the ground, and, and made a bounce over the keeper, which makes it difficult for any keeper in the world because they can tell you how hard it is to catch a ball when it bounces. Um, so, yeah, great play all, all the way around. And then the celebrations to boot, you know, running back and run, running out to the fans and, and celebrating there and, and on the track. Uh, Great stuff by Napoli. Who would have thought that coming with the, the forms these two teams were on? Uh, that the team that was in the bad form, you know, comes up big two nothing right away in the second half. Um, really, really great stuff. And this is why we this is why we say they play the game because you never know what's going to happen. Just whoever brings it that day is usually the team's going to win. Uh, we all thought Atalanta would destroy Spall last week too. So I mean, they took it got, out a week later. Yeah, ninety minutes. So, um, but yeah, it's. And then you know to your point about that ball bouncing. I mean, if and if if they're if they're sprinkling the if they're sprinkling the pitch or if it's wet and that's where the ball's going to skip, and yeah. it's awfully hard to read that off the bounce uh, for a goalkeeper. So um, you know, nonetheless, two nil. But uh, Juventus would pull one back, and Cristiano Ronaldo for the eighth straight time, eighth straight game scores for Juventus. Clever finish, um, and and a difficult one. He had Merit flying at him, and just to have the presence of mind to just get a toe to the ball and just poke it i mean it wasn't a toe poke in the sense of what you saw with chiesa last week it was one it was a lot more subtle but it's all it's only where he's just got to make it was one of those just got to make contact with the ball 
and push it on. And he did just that, and it rolls in. Um, and at that moment, a, a little bit of hope left for Juventus, right? Absolutely. I mean, anytime they're pulled within, within a goal, you know they're probably going to chance uh, late in the game to try to equalize. And you had a feeling like they're going to equalize it somehow, some way, just either with through Ronaldo or someone else. Um, and they came close to Higuain, but uh, luckily it didn't end that way. But, man, you, the way the form that Ronaldo's in right now, I mean, he is quickly catching Immobile. It's going to be hard to catch him, but if anyone can do it, it's going to be him. He's only six back now, and um, I don't know if this is a, too early to peak for him or not, but I guess it's never too early with him because, uh, you know, Napoli, Juventus won a strong Ronaldo going into uh, the Champions League knockout stages because that's how he'll just be a terror for everyone. And, uh sure. Uh, I I pity anybody who comes up against Juventus in, in the at the in the form that Ronaldo is in right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that other that equalizing chance for uh, Juventus would not come to pass, and the match would end two one, setting off a setting off a celebration like they won a trophy. I mean, this is a, it's been such a struggle for Napoli, and. Now a week under now a week under Gattuso, where they knock the defending Coppa Italia champ out of the Coppa Italia, and they beat the eight-time reigning champion all yeah. in the same week. Yeah. This is what we meant. Where okay, sweat this out when Gattuso starts initially. He can eventually get this going. I mean, this is a bang compared to what he did at Milan. Um, with with these with these two wins, these are signature wins that have come really really quick. So I ask you this, because at Milan it was some subtle wins and picking up points here and there after they had a very difficult start under Gattuso. Here it's a difficult start, and then bang, bang, two big uh, wins. Um, Does that put a lot of pressure on Gattuso now to continue to deliver, or is it a situation where, okay, this is great, We'll probably still drop some games along the way. I mean, where are you at with this? Is it all of a sudden, does this just put more on Gattuso's shoulders, or is this just, okay, we're overachieving, we're happy with what you're doing, let's let's keep it respectable? Where do you, where do you fall with where Napoli goes from here after this win? I actually think the opposite. I think it actually is going to have a positive effect on the team where it's a weight lifted off of their shoulders, uh, less pressure, and that they're like, okay, look, hey, we're scoring again. We're finally playing the way we, we, we thought we could play. Let's just go out and have fun now. Uh, and then the goals will just come. More goals and the results will come, I think. I, that's, I, I do think they're going to build off these two victories because these are two big victories. I mean, arguably two Scudetto contenders here and within a week's time that they beat. Um, and so I think they're going to feed off this energy. I think it's going to be a, a relief for Gattuso as opposed to extra pressure to continue this on because I think that the players um, getting these big results is such a confidence booster uh, they were in, they were down in the dumps, but getting these results, especially against a team like Juventus, it's going to do wonders for the team and for the confidence. And I think they're just going to feed off of that. And yeah, maybe they'll stumble here and there, but I think they're going to get more positive results than, than not. And so um, look for them to start going back up to go up the table here. And I was getting ready to come on the podcast, before, you know, the, the, watching the games this weekend before this game, thinking, man, I look like a bonehead, you know, telling Curtis Smith that I thought Napoli is going to be in a Europe, has a better chance of making a European spot than Milan. And then I'm like, oh, well, Milan's now technically tied for a European spot. But the way Napoli performed in this game against Juventus, I'm like, okay, let me hold my, hold my rule. Maybe that, uh, maybe what I said is still going to be true. And uh, so I'm going to hold to that for now. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, I think that, um, you know, 
it could be the floodgates could open here for Napoli. They go to Sampdoria next, and that's on Monday, and then uh, next Monday, and then they host Lecce. Uh, they are going to await the winner of the Milan-Torino match for the Coppa Italia, Ooh. and then they travel to Cagliari, um, and then at Brescia uh, before the Champions League game with before the Champions League tie at home against Barcelona. So imagine Napoli against Milan. Gattuso against Milan. <laughs> oh, could happen. It could, it could happen. Could. We'll uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how that how that pans out on Tuesday. So, um, the floodgates can potentially open. You got the fixtures in front of them for Napoli, which which give them a chance. They seem to have some stability in midfield, and you know Ken pointed out on Twitter, and I agree with him. You have a Manolas who has picked up the responsibility to really be the leader of the back four, and it was one of his better games in a Napoli shirt too. Um, so you, you've got a lot of things here going for Napoli that they're, that they're in their trajectory and they, that they might be in, in the positive trajectory and they beat two good teams in the process, two Scudetto contending teams, albeit beating Lazio in the Coppa Italia. So I think it proves to them, Hey, we're Napoli still around. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll see if Catuso continue to manufacture this week after week, but. Uh, what an important week for Napoli. I mean, we're going to get to our winners and losers. These are my automatic winner of the week, um, okay. you know, for okay. for what they did. Uh, you know, I know that there's some other deserving people, but, I mean, like I said, you knocked out the defending Coppa Italia champ and you just beat the eight-time champ uh, of, the, of the league in the same week. That's <laughs> – you're not going to – hard to get a lot better than that. So, um, Juventus, you know – I, I, I don't want to sound lazy about this, but I don't, you know, when I think about Juventus and when I think about this game, I, the, just a bad day from just a bad day overall. And that's all you yeah. look at it, um, you know, from Saudi selections to the timing of his substitutions to the performance of the players on the pitch. Um, this is just not a Juventus that we're accustomed to seeing and fully expect that they're going to bounce back from this. Oh yeah. 100%. And uh, luckily for all the neutrals, uh, the Scudetto race is still on, even though it's you know Juve is in the lead right now, and that's uh, usually when they're in the lead, it's over. But um, at least it's very close for now still, and that's uh, what you want to see as a neutral. Yep, for sure. So that's Napoli and Juventus. Your reaction to what you saw on Sunday? What a game! And you know what? I just a blast watching the YouTube videos of the uh, San Paolo faithful not leaving after the game and the team staying there and, and singing with them. Um, did you catch some of those clips? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 amazing. I love watching that kind of stuff. It's just it's one of those. It's the San Paolo is just one of those atmospheres that oh, you yeah. just they deliver stuff like that just about as good as anybody else in the world can. So even uh, also like in Champions League as well, they just they do such a great job too. Man, oh, makes me envious as a Milan fan. So yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so we got people that leave early. What's that about? I and mean, you see people walking. You can, you can see them walking from their seats. And like in the 88th minute, they're leaving early. Even when Milan are winning, you know that's a DC thing too. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, so, so uh, Napoli, Ken, Rafa, you guys are doing something right over there with, as far as your uh, as far as your support for your team. <laughs> the rest of us should take notes. So, uh, but that was not the only big game of the weekend, especially on Sunday. Uh, a certain capital derby that went on too. 
Yeah, yeah, a little thing called the Derby della Capitale. Uh, Roma hosting this one. It's at the Stadio Olimpico, home to both Lazio and Roma. Uh, Roma would be the Roma would be the designated home team in this one. Um, this game had a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of everything. The only thing it really lacked was goalkeeping, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but it was a fun a fun derby, no matter what. Uh, I look at the lineups in this one. Uh, the home team uh, they started out with uh, Paul Lopez in goal. They had a back four of Santon, Mancini, Smalling, Spinazzola. I uh, went with the midfield of Vera 2, Cristante, uh, Chenjizun there, and Pellegrini with Cliver and Jago up top. Uh, and then uh, Lazio came out with a very familiar formation, formation Thomas Tracosha in goal. Uh, you got a back four of uh, Felipe, Acerbi, Radu, and Lazzari. And then midfield of uh, SMS, Sergei Milinkovic, Savic, Lucas Leva, Luis Alberto, Senad Lulic. And then up top, walking Korea and Chiro Immobile. So, uh, fairly standard lineup, I think, for both teams, Frank. Uh, certainly for Lazio. Uh, what did you make of the uh, lineup for Roma in this one? I was particularly impressed uh, with Fonseca's decision to sit Kolarov. Yeah, and start Spinazzola. I, I, I thought that was smart. I, you know, and I think we have been talking about it at length here on Syria. I sit down about Kolarov and what he actually offers a team now at his at the advanced point in his career. Um, brilliant on a dead ball. He's probably one of three guys right now currently playing that I would want on a free kick. Um, you know, especially anything within 22 yards of goal. Um, so, but that and his crossing are about it, you know, defensively, there's a liability to him. And when you've got a Lazio attack that boasts two strike, you know, two forward players like they have with Immobile and Correa, and then you've got Manuel Atsadi capable of bombing forward and giving you some problems, uh, it made much more sense for Spinazzola to start this game. And then at some point, which they did, you know, bring Kolarov on in the hopes that there's a dead ball, there's some sort of situation where he can deliver a set piece and deliver a win. And I think that's also a comfortable decision to make because. Pellegrini has taken some of this set-piece responsibility as well. Uh, and I think Veratu mixes in one here and there, and Under mixes one in here in here and there on corners. Um, so that's all covered. So why else would you have Kolarov on the pitch? Get a guy out there that can defend a flank, and, and Spinazzola actually had a really good game here. So, uh, so it was a smart decision from Fonseca. On the Lazio side... Nothing really surprised me with their lineup. Um, you know, it's 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 standard for what we expect from Simone Inzaghi. He he put out his best eleven. Um, you know, and uh, let's you know let's play. Let's see what they got. Yeah, yeah, and uh, with the forms, uh, at least the form that Lazio was in, you thought they would be the one who really uh, start uh, start start with the pedal to the metal. But no, it was Roma who was really kind of dictating things early on, which is kind of strange for me watching you know Lazio this season because usually they're the ones who are putting the pressure on the opponents. Um, Roma would be the first one to capitalize. Uh, Edin Dzeko, uh I'm not really sure what Thomas Tarkosha was thinking, why he lets a forward out-jump him, but uh, Edin Dzeko gets to the ball over Tarkosha's hands, uh, nails it into the goal. Uh, a great header by Dzeko, but really a calamitous play by Thomas Tarkosha. Uh, just like that, Roma up one nothing early in the derby. Um, typically in these derbies, you see these ugly goals, and uh, this certainly was an ugly goal. I thought this goalkeeper was more at fault than Dzeko getting credit for the goal. What were your thoughts on the goal? Yeah, that was poor from Strakosha. I mean, if you're going to be, I mean, we say this about goalkeepers all the time in those situations, you need to be fully committed. 
Um, and the advantage that you have over outfield players is the ability to use your hands, which is obvious. But in moments like that, the height of your hands or your fists reaching up and jumping should be taller than anything anybody you're playing against can do with their head. You know, um, I think that, uh, albeit Jekyll got to the ball first, so, you know, that makes that element of it a little bit moot. Uh, I think Strakosha just hesitated on the decision, and when he decided decided to finally come out, it was way too late. So I think that that was part of it. You know, so if you're going to commit yourself, your timing has to be an awful lot better. Um, you know, so those, the combination of those two elements really led to the calamity, uh, and, and Jekyll gets one of the easier goals he's going to score all season. Well, we, as bad as that was, or I thought, I thought that was, uh, (laughs) it didn't, it was nothing compared to, uh, Paul Lopez, who's normally been a, a excellent goalkeeper this season. He does something completely idiotic where the ball was going out he tries to fist it and it goes backwards over the goal, over the goal post. And then it just drops in, in place in between him and, and Chris Smalling goes in the net. I mean, what a terrible goal. Acherby gets credit for the goal. He was right, right man on the right spot. Uh, but what the heck was Paul Lopez doing? Uh, punching the ball, not grabbing it, and then you know, keep punching it backwards of all places, right back into the play, right to where Acherby was. It was That was the stupidest goal I've seen in a while. I'm still trying to process that one, to be honest I had with to you. watch it like five think, times. I'm like, what did he do? Yeah. Um Okay, so he punches it, and then it bounces off the top of the post and stays in play and then comes down. And it's it almost is like he and Smalling are kind of looking at each other over who should get the ball. Yeah. And, no, Paul Lopez should get the ball. Again, and then it's that point that I made about Strakosha earlier. You jumping with your arms up is higher than anything that any outfield player can do, uh, can do legally. So – Got to make that yours, and you got to claim it again. And uh, he didn't, you know. And I think in that situation, when in doubt, goalkeeper make that yours with the ball at that point. At that point, so I think that hesitancy and that miscommunication between and between him and Smalling created the comedy. And uh, for a Serbi, it was oh look what I found. Uh, so and he, you know is <laughs> for him one of the easiest goals he's ever going to score. Uh, yeah, exactly, and. And really, both goalies they kind of cancel each other out, and so that's kind of perfect for a derby that you know the two mistakes cancel each other out really. And then it was game on after that one-one. Um, there were about six yellows in this game, a very hotly, hotly contested matchup. Uh, it went into halftime one-one, uh, and then coming out of the second half, uh, opportunities for both teams really. Um, Roma, if you're looking at possession-wise, they really control the play. You know, 67% to like 33%. Um, they had a lot more of the shots. It was something crazy, something like sixteen to three or something. Shots on target were like seven to two, or it was. It was. It seemed lopsided. I mean, Lazio. I don't know if they were just reeling from the from the loss to Napoli and and mid in the Coppa Italia action or what. Um, it, I mean, it was obviously a feisty affair for both teams, but I thought Roma played a lot stronger than I I anticipated. I thought it was going to be more Lazio on the front foot, uh, more of the possession and 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 shots. Uh, and it was Roma in this game. The game ended up one one. Uh, overall, but um, if you know, it's it's like kissing your kissing your sister in this in this respect. But if anything, does should Roma take a little bit um, more positives from this game that they kind of uh, dictated the pace a little bit more than than we we expected at least? Because 
I fully expected Lazio to be the ones that dictate employ. No, Roma shouldn't take anything positive from this. They dropped two points. Yeah. They were yeah, clearly yeah. the better team in this game. They outshot Lazio 22-6. to Chenji's Under played really well, I thought. Uh, I thought Under was good. I thought Clivert was good for the time he was out there. I thought yeah. Cristante was – I mean, every I, – I can't find – yeah. yeah, I can't find a Roma player that I can look at and say, except for Paul Lopez that had a bad game. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's a shame. Um, you know, so – so, so Roma, Roma should feel hard done by. Lazio should be lucky to get out of there with a point, and and then lucky that they're still in the uh, Scudetto conversation. Not that you know, not having that point would would put them in any trouble. They still have that game in hand where they got to play Verona. Um, but I thought Pellegrini was terrific too uh, yeah, yeah. in this game. I mean, he was just all over the place, taking shots, crossing like crazy. Some of that, a lot of that was set piece duty, but uh, you know. Uh, 41, you know, I mean, this is, this is the difference between uh, a player like he had 89% accurate pass rate. I mean, in this game, uh, for a man of his position, for a man in his position in the middle of the park, uh, you know, dealing with all kinds of pressure, uh, you know, kept the play going, kept things moving and just everything ran, things ran well through him. And then, you know, shooting and crossing too. So I thought he was fantastic. I mean, all of the outfield players for Roma were good. Um, you know, Sergei Milinkovic Savic has had better days. Yeah, he did uh, nearly score in the second half, but yeah, sure. he's had better games for sure. Yep, Chiro has clearly had better games. Didn't um, you think he was going to score there at the end somehow, some way that Chiro was going to find a way, either by penalty or whatever, would try to find a goal somehow? Because he's done it all season long. It seems like late goals uh, to get victories for for Lazio. He's my pick for Capo Canonieri. Come on, I always <laughs> expect him to score. The lead so. is dwindling, sir. Well, you know, he's still going to get it. That's true. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I just he he was a little bit baffling out there, and I think that you've got to give a lot of credit to the combination of Mancini and Smalling for uh, making the game hard for Chido. One shot on target for an entire 90 minutes on the Capo Canonieri is very impressive uh, for a defensive duo uh, to limit it, to. Limit oh, to. yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, so that's uh, that's something that, that that needs to be said. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at everybody on the pitch, if there was going to be somebody that could produce a late winner, it would have been Chido. But I, some of it also just the the service just didn't get to him. Um, and uh, you're not used to seeing that with Lazio either. No, you're not. And I, yeah, full credit's got to go to Fonseca and his and his midfield uh, for really uh, stifling uh, the, the opportunities by Lazio and, and not letting them create any opportunities for Chido or or Correa or, or whoever. Um, they did a really good job and and kind of canceling all that out. So uh, good performance by Roma. But yeah, I, ultimately I think it is a drop two points that they're going to rue uh, coming into the season because you know Lazio have a, have a good lead on them at the moment and uh, it's really Roma is going to try to fend off you know Atalanta who's surging um, and then you get you know three or four teams behind them that are you know capable of catching up. So it'll be interesting. Will they will they rue the two points that they miss or not at the end of the season? We'll see. Uh, but um, yeah, they should have had three points away. They played at least. Yeah. Um. So Lazio doesn't hurt them too much in terms of their title pursuit. Roma, this hurts them a little bit in terms of trying to fight off at the moment. Atalanta. You have some teams now that are starting to charge from behind. Uh, you know that are going to make things interesting here for that fourth place finish. Albeit there's some distance still from where yeah. Roma's sitting. Uh. So. 
this would have been good for them to go ahead and, and get all three points. So uh, this is two points lost for the Giallo Rossi. Um, and Lazio probably lucky to get out of there with a point. So, so that was the Derby della Capitale. Uh, your thoughts on that? Go to at Serie A sit, go to at Serie A sit down on Twitter uh, or Instagram with your thoughts. Let's uh, get to the rest. All right, Richard, we'll cut this in half, and I'll start with the Friday-Saturday games, and then you can take the uh, Sunday and the, the, the Sunday up through the uh, what we used to call multi-calcio. Sounds good. All right. Well, Friday the action began with Brescia hosting Milan, and uh, Milan decided to sit around and let Sandro Tonali put on a passing clinic in this <laughs> game. Um, and uh, that led to uh, Gen Luigi Donnarumma putting on a goalkeeping clinic with seven big saves. And yeah. uh, a super sub, Ante Rebic, sparing Milan's blushes because really, uh, if there's if there's anyone that stole three points this weekend, it was Milan, uh, coming away with a one nil win. Ante Rebic scoring in the seventy uh, first minute and then going on to uh, preserve the victory uh, for the Rossoneri, um, and uh, a new favorite name emerged from this game for me, Richard. Torre Rosso? Uh, from, from Brescia. No, uh, Simon Scrab. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. What, 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 Simon Scrab. He is, uh, what is he? He's a midfielder. Um, who knows what he is, but he got a yellow card right away, too. If your name is Simon Scrab, you should probably get a yellow card every game. So <laughs> that's just, yeah. uh, you know, something that I noticed and something that I just wanted to pass along. Uh, so, uh, so Milan get three points. I said it right after that game. Milan stole that one. Um, Brescia, I thought were the better team and deserved to get something out of it. But uh, that's uh, that's you got it. That's why you got to finish your chances. So, uh, Saturday began with Spal hosting Bologna, and it would be Bologna coming away with a three-one win. It actually started with an Andrea Patania penalty. Pies for everybody. Um, but then, uh, <laughs> but then, uh, apparently, uh, Francesco Vicari got so excited, uh, with his team with a one goal lead, didn't know how to handle it because Paul hasn't led a lot of games, uh, and puts one in the back of his own net just a minute later and makes it one, one, uh, Bologna would go ahead two one, uh, with through Musa Barro, who has come over from Atalanta, Richard. Uh, came on as a sub for Federico Santander. Musa Berro is going to be very, very interesting with this Bologna setup. Um, and he scores right off the bat. And then in the 63rd minute, uh, Scott Monroe, the uh, best number 16 to ever play City, uh, Andrea Poli, puts it away to win by three goals to one. I really have nothing else on this game. Uh, I don't have anything on Fiorentina and Genoa because neither team scored. Uh, although I will credit... Uh, uh, Bartolome Degrowski had an outstanding game here. Six saves for Fiorentina uh, against Genoa here. Genoa had most of the possession as we're starting to learn these Fiorentina teams under Iacchini aren't going to see a lot of the ball and are going to live and die by the counter. They've got some personnel to do it. We'll talk about them in a little bit. But Degrowski also had a penalty save in the game as well. Yeah, that he did. That he did. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. I did have that in my notes. So uh, I saw. I could see from here. Yeah, it was a uh, save on Crescito <laughs> in the 15th minute. So. Yes. Um, 
Atalanta just did Atalanta things to Jeez. Torino. I mean, they just they 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 they, they pillaged Torino, <laughs> just seven nil, and it wasn't even and the game wasn't even that close. Had it not been, oh my god, had yeah. it not been for Sirigu, this game could have been at least this game could have gotten to double digits. I mean, eh, Matteo Benetti actually finally said something funny on Twitter. He said, "Stop it, Atalanta! These Torino players have families." <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> I did not know. That made me laugh. <laughs> so, anyway, Josip uh, Ilicic would score in the 17th minute. Then it would be Robin Gosens in the 29th minute. Duban Zapata, a penalty in the 45th plus first minute. It is the uh, goal in the 53rd minute that all the world will be talking about. Ilicic's oh. goal from nearly half field on a, on a free kick, just catching Torino off guard. I'm already going to tell you that's the goal of the week. Yes. Gosens has got a goal of the week candidate, by the way, and was very, very impressive until that Ilicic goal happened. And then Ilicic would get his hat trick in the 54th. Uh, and then Luis Muriel came into the game for Robin Gosens, and he just added to the fun. He got a penalty and then scored just two in the 86 and would score again two minutes later. Uh, just an absolute onslaught uh, by Atalanta. Uh, 14 shots on target in this game. So Sirigu made seven saves. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> on top of the seven that he gave up, um, you know. So and somehow Walter Mazzotti still has a job after all of this. Uh, <laughs> I guess let's start with Atalanta because you know that ugly loss to Spall is a well one. It's uglier after Spall went and lost at home to Bologna, but two. As ugly as it's going to be, it's looking like a blip on the radar because that loss is sandwiched in between three games where Atalanta won by a combined 17-0. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And that, that goal that Illichich scored from midfield was... And I'm sorry, of- hold on. Let me... 17-0 against teams that are in... It's not like they beat three relegation strugglers. Top they beat teams. teams that currently sit 7th, 8th, and 12th. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's not doing it against Lecce and, and Spa and all that stuff. I mean, they did it against... Good teams, decent teams. Um, wow. And, yeah, that Illichich goal from midfield was one of the best goals I saw from that distance. I mean, the only one I could think of that was probably better was Seydorf's when he was at Real Madrid. Um, this one was just a ridiculous shot. I mean, the power, the accuracy, it was top corner. Even if the goalie was there, it would have made it difficult for the goalie to make that save. Um, what a shot. What a free kick. What, a, what heads-up play by him. I mean, it was the bonehead play by the Torino player to stop the ball on a, on a foul. Giving him an automatic free kick, and he just said, "Okay, Siri goes out of the, out of the net. I'm gonna take a shot." And boy, what a goal! Ilicic has just continued to impress this season. Uh, yeah, he's been phenomenal. And another person who's really impressive for me, who's not getting the minutes, is Luis Muriel. He doesn't get many minutes per game, and he is in the top, you know, in the top whatever eight, whatever in goals. Uh, I think he's fifth or in goal scored. I think this year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Um, twelve goals and 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 the little amount of minutes he plays, it's it's ridiculous. The return rate, goal goal to return rate is uh is unbelievable with him. So, Atalanta just doing Atalanta things. I mean, wow, wow. Yeah, he is scoring a goal every seventy three minutes. Almost as good as that Halan kid, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Who you have to put up with every oh, twice a year as a Schalke fan. Have fun with that, by the way. Um, yeah, so. Just to the the, the uh, Cabo Cananieri, Cabo Cananieri Mobley, he's scoring every seventy two minutes and getting a lot more play. You know, obviously getting a lot more yeah. playing time. Yeah. Uh, just by comparison, so I mean, Luis Muriel has one of the best scoring rates in the league, and he doesn't. He he has maybe played half as much as Chiro. 
And how many goals does he have on the season? I think, what did I say, 12? 12. He's at okay. 12. Yeah, he'd be right there with Chido on goals. That's crazy. Um, if he played as many minutes as Chido Immobile. You'd, and, and, and it's not far-fetched the way Atalanta play. Not you, far-fetched to believe that, that he can And you know be. who we're not talking about in, in all of this is Papo Gomez. He was just pulling strings all game long. He was getting assists, a lot of assists in this. I mean, he set up Muriel on, the, on his last goal and, and set up Ilicic. Papo Gomez, man, he is just – this is a great year. We talked about it during the uh, midseason awards, how good a year this was for him. And, I mean, he's having a great year. It doesn't have the goal numbers, but he is just setting his teammates up, and his teammates are reaping the benefits of it. Oh, indeed. I mean – he was uh, magnificent again. I think a couple of assists in this game. So, uh, you know, certainly not getting on the scoring fund, but definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely pulling the strings, as you say. So, um, just, uh, just quite astonishing uh, the way this team can play. Uh, can't wait to see them against Valencia in the Champions League. Uh, makes yeah. me more and more convinced they're going to really reach the last eight if they continue to play like this. So, let's hope. Um, yeah, let's hope because they're they're so fun to watch. They're they're a neutral's delight. Um, I've got a friend uh, that is kind of be, starting to become a Serie A fan, doesn't have a team to support, and he asked me, and I said, as much as I'd love to, if you want to watch and you just want to be entertained, watch Atalanta should be your team. So I mean, just, just the, the way they're playing right now, I mean, it's just off the charts. Um, I mean, the ruthlessness that they play with when they're on form. Um, Bologna, Musa Barrow scores. Uh, I think this was his debut uh, with uh, with the Rosso Blue. Is he finally the striker that these playmakers can rely on? I mean, we talk about Palacio a little bit. Palacio can be a poacher, but I like the potential that Barrow has with the likes of Orsolini and Sansoni and Soriano providing him service. Yeah, and that goal was really brilliant. It's a goal of the week candidate for me. Um, let's hope because you know he didn't get he didn't he wasn't able to get much much uh, pitch time with Atalanta. But this guy is a very talented player. He can score goals as well, and he's got the pace as well that uh, that Bologna need. Uh, they're not certainly not going to get it from Palacios. So let's hope that this is the missing piece in terms of a striker that Bologna needs. Uh, and you know I'm curious to see how he develops with getting more pitch time um, as opposed to just coming off the bench from and his previous team. So um, I'm hoping for Musa because I really like this player, but I also think that, uh, with, with the player, the cast of characters that you just mentioned that Bologna have, that you know, they will feed him uh, and they'll, they'll both help each other out because he'll be getting goals. He'll take players. Uh, defenders will go towards him to kind of get, get rid of him and then give more open space for Rossellini and Soriano and, 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 and the rest of the cast, Nandez. So, um, Not this place for Cagliari. Excuse me, sorry. I'm, I was looking at the next game. So don't edit that uh, out. Don't edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be called uh, out for that. <laughs> regardless, I think this is going to be a, a perfect match, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm really looking to see how the next couple of games go with the with uh, Barrow in the lineup. Um, I expect I'm expecting him to get a lot more goals uh, for the remainder of the season here. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to seeing what he's going to provide uh, for Mihailovic's team. Um, Milan. Uh, I said they stole it. I, I'm not wrong either, am I? No. I mean, if it, it really, GGO is the one who stole it. And Rebic, I mean, yeah, because he got the goal. But Donnarumma came up so big. Toro Grosso was, for me, the best player on the pitch. Um, and Tonali, a very close second. Uh, both these two players are just fantastic for Brescia in this game, um, this season in general. But in this game in particular, they just control the game. And Toro Grosso had so many shots and 
Donnarumma came up big every time. If it wasn't for him, this would have been a, like a, a an embarrassing loss. And I'm talking about how many goals they they would have conceded. Um, big game, big three points that they stole for sure. I you know watching the game, I'm thinking if they get a draw on this one, they're lucky, uh, and they got and they got a win. Uh, Rebic again coming up big. Uh, good for him. I feel I felt I feel really good for him because coming coming over from Frankfurt, I knew the potential this guy had, what he could do over there, what he did for Croatia, and just couldn't get the right fit in the beginning with Milan. But um, he's starting to get his mojo now, which is uh, which is good for them. Do we? I mean, Andrew Pickering asked on uh, Twitter, uh, and he's one of the guys that'll do commentary on on the Serie A games. Uh, when you get the ESPN Plus package or, or uh, uh, the Dazen package, depending on where you live. Yeah. Um, and he asked, he said, you know, have Milan ever, have they won comfortably yet this year? You know, and I, I, I engaged in a conversation with him and I said, no. You know, they have not, there's not a three points that they've had in league where you can look at it and said that was a comfortable three points. In the league, correct. Okay. The league, correct. They have found ways to win. We might have to deal with that as Milan supporters. Um, Udinese win, the 3-2 win here, came as close as Milan has come to a comfortable win, yet it wasn't comfortable because they were boneheaded enough to, you know, Donnarumma first, and then <laughs> and then the, 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 the goal by Lasagna, to allow that to be a game, but the combination of that and then all of the chances that they missed. The game should have been much more comfortable for Milan than it ended up being. So... No, they haven't. You know, which 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 leads me to believe that this is a Milan that we're just going to be gritting our teeth week in and week out, or the with with Ibrahimovic in the team, and with the changes that have been made, and with the way that they're performing, matter of time before the dominance is coming. The only comfortable win they've had all season long was the three 0 win against Spal in the Copa. Yeah. Um. You know. So, no, they haven't. So maybe they will. Uh, down the road, but for now, we're we're as Milan supporters, we're getting comfortable being uncomfortable, and that's probably as long as they're winning, that's okay. Oh, one hundred percent. Along the the end results, what the what really matters most at this point, um, it's not the end product. It's it's do they get to three points? Do they get do they get enough points in the game? Um, and right now, they're doing it. Um, you know, as Michael Lisi pointed out in, in, in his recent article about how Milan tends to surge in January, this is their surge right now, and um, hopefully they can feed into it and, and continue it on um, past this in the normal January February uh, rush. So, um, yeah, it's 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 they're getting points, they're getting three points at this time. They're getting you know they're surging up the charts with these wins. They're close wins, not not pretty by any stretch, but they're getting it done. And I think that's the most important thing at the moment. Um, that'll that'll breed confidence within the team, and and hopefully that'll um, allow them to eventually get some comfortable wins going forward. But um, it'll be some tight affairs that'll have to help them work through their growing pains, I guess. Yep. I. I don't feel like that this is how Fiorentina should play. I, when I when I think of Fiorentina, I think of Batistuta's teams. Uh, I think of some of these wonderful attacking teams. This counterattacking, this letting the other team have the ball approach, the Yakini's tactics. It's it's really hard for me to watch Fiorentina these days, even though they've got the personnel that it might work. I just I don't think that's for Fiorentina. Yeah, yeah, and and to be fair, 
a lot of it was on their own. Like they had they had the opportunities. They just missed the net how many freaking times? I mean, I'm surprised they got six shots on target. Uh, it seemed like they, every shot they took just missed the net. And for as many opportunities as they had, they should have had a lot better quality opportunities. Make the goalie uh, get some saves, and they really and they really didn't do that. Um, that's the unfortunate part. This is you want to see if at least if Fiorentina is attacking and playing and and contributing offensively. Make the goalie work for it. Don't just miss the net like you do. That's not. I agree. It's not a Fiorentina side you want to see or you're used to seeing. Well, I agree with you. Bati goal is like the first name that comes to my mind uh, when I think of Fiorentina and and the free scoring days and uh, playing beautiful football. And this is not that at all. We're far from that. Um, but I mean, they need to find ways to get some wins instead of draws. I mean, they're they're. Uh, I'm I'm still not accustomed to seeing them in the bottom half of the table. I'm not. Yep. Yep. They need to be in the European discussion, not in mid-table. The only thing that the only reason why I think these tactics are reasonable now is because I think that they do give Chiesa in counterattacking situations a lot more room to run at defenders. Yeah. And he's not yeah. trying to get through the lines himself individually. You know? He can take people on, he can run at people, and he can cause a lot of problems. He can create his own chances, and he can create chances for others if things are more open. And probably the only way for things to open up for Fiorentina is if they soak what the other team is doing and absorb the absorb it and then just spring him uh, when well, they me, win the ball. Let me ask you this. Did you think that, that maybe that was a downside for them, is that he had so much free room that he was he was more intent on going one-on-one against his defenders instead of finding like a, a wide-open Vlahovic a couple times? He was wide open on the other side and wasn't getting the looks because Chiesa was so intent on going one-on-one and going to, going for a goal. Um, maybe this all this room that Chiesa is getting, while it looks beautiful and it's good to see, good to use his speed, Occasionally he'll be he'll be he'll have like a deer in headlights and just focus on the target and not look about his the players and teammates around him where he could who are much more in a better position to possibly you know get a better scoring opportunity. That's a very difficult question to answer, and I'll tell yeah, you why. Yeah, you you don't want a young player like Chiesa if he's got the confidence and thinks he's got the shot, right. he's got yeah. it. You don't want to take it away from him by demanding that he plays the open man. If he's on or saying, hey, you got to read this or you got to see this, you know, um, I, you know, you're always a believer. Coaches always will tell you that, you know, um, coaches that I learned from a long, long time ago, if you've got to take on artists, protect that quality because there's so few of them, um, the, the willingness to just be the defender and take their own take their own chance, uh, you know, in the final third of the pitch. But at the same time. If you're in some angles where it's going to be very, very difficult to pull it off, then yeah, it's where you got to pick your head up and see what's available and what's in what's out there for you. Uh, you know, to play the ball, to play Vlaovic, as you said, on a couple of occasions where he was on. Um, you know, in in the final third of the pitch, you know, your number one priority is to shoot or finish. Your number two priority is to beat a defender and shoot or finish, and your number three priority is to pass. Um, you know, that's the old ways. I don't know if that's being taught now. I, you see a lot of combination play and a lot of intricate passing, and you watch this well, and you see a lot of the team goals that they score, and you're seeing a lot of that these days. Um, but there's something special about a guy that has the confidence in taking people on and producing their own chance, and you don't want to take that away. You want to be careful you don't want to take that away from him. Yeah, and, and I look forward to seeing him do this in the Euros, going after guys one-on-one. And I, I certainly want him to have his confidence, but, yeah, you're right. It, it is a fine line, like – 
uh, you want the youngster to continue to have that, that hunger and want to attack players as opposed to you know feeling that he's obligated to pass to, to his teammates who may be in a better position may not be so but do you think uh, that skill do you, do you think that skill set's going to get highlighted with Italy because Mancini's gotten more possession based um no, but maybe on occasion when if they, they are playing teams that have more possession and they get that counter opportunity, he'll have those chances there. Uh, okay. But I think I agree with you that they are more possession paced, so he won't be able to do the same things, uh, won't have as many opportunities to do that. But I think they'll certainly play teams that have possession, that, that are better at possession than they are. And that's when I think he'll shine in those moments. Sure, sure. So we'll see what I mean, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, I, you know, I'm not used to seeing Fiorentina set up this way. You know, Yakini has a way he likes to do things, and it may be of a benefit to a player like Chiesa. And we'll just we'll see how we'll we'll see where this goes. So, those are mine. What did uh, what do you what do you have to tell the people? Yeah, uh, some interesting games. Uh, kind of alluding to Cagliari earlier with Nandes. Um, Inter uh, Inter hosting Cagliari, uh, a very interesting matchup. Uh, Inter obviously wants to get back in uh, the top of the table, but they would play a very stingy Cagliari team, a team who, uh, a Cagliari team who's been floundering of late, but this is a perfect time for them to show up uh, at the, at the Giuseppe Miazza. Inter would score early uh, through um, Ashley Young making a debut for Inter, would get in his first assist for Inter, uh, and, and Arturo Martinez, one of the smallest players on the pitch, would get the header on the goal. Great cross in, great finish on the header. Uh, Inter up one nothing, kind of what you expected in the game. But Cali, you know, dug down deep. They kind of started uh, owning the possession in the game. Um, chances went both ways for both teams, really. Uh, but um, it's the current Inter player who's out on loan, uh, Rajanai Golan, who would come back to haunt his parent club. Uh, 78th minute, uh, he would take a long-range shot, as he always does. This wasn't one of the beauty ones, but it went in nonetheless. Uh, he scored, didn't celebrate, uh, made a 1-1 at that point. Uh they share the points with Inter. A big two points dropped by Inter, I think, in this game. Uh, they had a really, a really chance to kind of get back into um, at least points discussion at, on the same level as Juventus, uh, and really came up against a stingy Cagliari team that uh, found ways in the midfield to stifle them. Yeah, Lukaku had his chances, uh, as did Martinez, and, and and Sensi had a decent game in as well as uh, in this. But I think Cagliari did what they had to do to get the points, and and they did it. Uh, and they came away with um, with a one one draw on this, and a good performance, I think, by Cali overall uh, to come away with one one here. Um, going over to, uh, we'll come back to these games. Uh, co- going over to Hellas Verona's hosting Lecce. Uh, this game was a um, uh, an entertaining one, at least from the one side. Lecce not putting much of a fight this season, really. A couple games here and there, but Hellas Verona's they came out. Newman Davidovich. Uh, would score a goal. This guy looked like he was seven foot tall. He scored a wonderful header in the 19th minute. Nearly scored one a couple minutes later. But um, Piscina with one of the uh, one of the one of the goals of the weekend. I'll give it to him uh, in the 34th minute. He made it two nothing for uh, Hellas Veronas going into halftime. And then in the 87th minute, Hellas would get a penalty kick. And of course, it's uh, Giampaolo Pazzini getting the goal. Uh, with his patented celebration, three nothing Hellas Verona. Hellas Verona win. Excuse me, at home, uh, going into Parma hosting Udinese. Uh, Udinese who's, who's been on the up as of late. Parma played really well, especially at home. Um, one of the goal of the week candidates, I think, uh, Galliolo in the 19th minute scoring a goal off a kind of like ricochet ball around in the box, uh, one nothing uh, at that point. And then the new man going to Juventus, who is back uh, playing with Parma for the rest of the season. 
Kulishevsky, uh, one of the players we've been talking about all season long, in the 34th minute, he scores with his right foot, not his left foot, but the right foot this time, uh, scores a goal past Musso, uh, 2-0, Parma win at, or, at home against Udinese. Um, Sampdoria Sassuolo this game was uh, very similar to the Fiorentina matchup. Uh, Sampdoria would pick up a red card in the 25th minute, um, a uh, silly red card by Federico Peluso. Uh, but, you know, despite being a man down, uh, Sassuolo was, uh, they still to continue to put shots up against Sampdoria some way, somehow. I'm not really sure. Uh, but despite all the chances they had, this, neither team was able to score 0-0 in that game. Um, and then, yeah, those, that's really the that rounded out the multicultural for the weekend uh, on Sunday. Let's go to the Inter-Cagliari matchup. Um, I thought for sure this would, you know, the way that Cagliari was playing lately, I thought Inter were for sure were going to win this game. And when they scored early, I said, okay, yeah, they're definitely going to win. Conte is going to find a way to lock it down. And Cagliari, they they scratched around and they and they 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 got the points in this one. Yeah, they found a way. Um, kind of really despicable the way Inter behaved at the end of the game. They Two red cards, yeah. I feel to mention that. Arturo Martinez and then um, Tommaso Berni as well. The spitting, uh, was that the one that was spitting? Yeah. In the direction yeah. of the fourth official? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, so that was, that, 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 that took the shine off what was a real battle between two good teams. Um, you know, when you look at this uh Cagliari had a little bit more of the ball in this one, uh, which I think you kind of expect the way Conti sets his teams up, you know, because he would love to hit you on the break with those two forwards that he's got, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, Cagliari had it 60% of the time, but Inter, when they got the ball, made very good use of their chances and created a lot of them. Yes. Um, solid game from Cranio in his return, getting four saves. Um, you know, and of course, Nangalan getting the equalizer for for Calgary. Uh, you know, it's one of those words. Who else was it going to be? Kind of thing. Um, so, do you think? Do you think the red card by Larturo? He for sure get a one game ban. But you think it'll? You think it'll go more than one game? Because if that second game is against Milan in the derby, uh, he'll miss the Udinese matchup next week. But um, do you think it'll? There's a chance for him to miss more than one game. Because of the uh, the the incident, and uh, he he wasn't on spit; he was one yelling at the referee. Um, but do you think he'll get more in one game for that? It depends on the nature of it, you know. Yeah. I mean, we just saw Bellotelli get a three game ban. So true. That is true. I'm curious because if he if he does miss that game, that's gonna look bad for him. Uh, losing is cool, you know. Conte's gonna hate that uh, missing the big derby if that were to happen. But you know, he'll definitely miss with the Nazis. So we have to stay tuned to see what happens with that. I mean, if the severity of what was said is identical to Balotelli, then yeah, I mean, it's it, you, you got to be on an equal platform here, and you got to give him a three-game ban. Yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see what they decide to do on this. Um, you know, I'm trying to see if maybe there was a uh, nothing has uh, been announced yet as far as any disciplinary yet. And, I'm, curi- uh, I'm curious what Thomas uh, Tommaso Berni gets too for the spitting incident. Um, if he gets what five games or something like that, or yeah, that's going to be a little. That's probably going to be a little more serious. Not that they're going to miss him or anything, but right. Still, you're curious what what happens with that with an incident like that. So sure, sure, no doubt about it. So, um, you know, if the severity is on an identical plane to what happened with Balotelli, then you've got to give him three games. You know, so we'll see what the we'll see what the committee comes back at, and you're going to see, you know, 
if it's anything less, get ready for a lot of outrage because you just suspended Balotelli um, three games. And now you're going to suspend – if you suspend Latau or less, you're you're just continuing to fan the flames of Mm – a lot of social issues, let's just, I mean, racism. Yeah. That is obvious within the FIGC and within Liga Calcio because of their refusal to address it, their refusal to take the steps that they, or the just absolutely calamitous steps that they take toward trying to address it. <laughs> you know, any way you want to look at it. So um, I'm going to be very curious to see how they fall out on this and what they decide to do. You know, um, apparently, Balotelli's actions were severe enough to get a three-game ban. Balotelli didn't charge at a referee. Latara Martinez did. Yeah. So, you know, so we'll see what happens here. And I think they're going to have to take a look and they're going to have to evaluate this. And I'm going to be curious to see how they come out with this. I am not trying to say this to get Latara out of the derby. As I'm a, I'm a supporter that I want to play the best that my rival can put out. I'm not a fan. You know, I'm not trying to gain an advantage by them not having one of their better players. So before anybody says that, I'm trying to look at it from, all right, you have an example, you have a relatively similar example here with Balotelli. I think we know, you know, arguments, things were said, charging at the referee, you know, take all of that into account. We, we know what maybe the punishment should be, but are you going to levy that amount of punishment on Lataro Martinez? Yeah. So. We'll, we'll see. Yep. We'll see. Um, going over to the, Hel- the Hellas Verona's match, uh, Pavel Davidovic, uh, the tall defender, uh, gets a goal. I mean, he, he stood out. I mean, he, I'm sure he's not as tall as he, he looks on the pitch. He looks like he's seven foot on the pitch, but um, great job on his first goal. He nearly got a second goal a little bit later on. Um, he had a really good game, I thought. Uh, Matteo Pessina did really well. Uh, Milazovic is another player who I thought did well for Hellas Verona. He had a bullet of a pass that Matteo Passina um, ended up scoring on. Uh, both those players really, I thought, did very well for Hellas Verona, despite you know who they're playing, Lecce. Maybe Lecce made them, like, made them look better than they were, but uh, Hellas tend to play really well at home. And again, uh, defensively, uh, it's kind of what they've been doing all it's bread and butter all season long, is not giving, giving much to the opposition, and uh, they got a shutout on this one again. Yeah. Um... You know, they play, they're set up to play that way. You know, the comment about Davidovich, it's interesting. He almost was, had it not been VAR, he'd be suspended for this game. Um, Because the previous week was the one where he was, they thought that he did a deliberate handball and the referee gave him a straight red. And then VAR looked at it and said the ball went off his chest. Yeah. Um, So, and I even made that comment on Twitter. I said, Davidovich went from nearly being suspended to this game to scoring a goal. So, so that was interesting. Um, you have not only the way they're set up where it's defensive, they make life difficult for you. They don't give you a lot of room and a lot of chances. And granted, they play Lecce. But some playmakers are emerging from this team as well. Um, Miguel Veloso is good on the dead ball and has been all season. Darko Lazovic is finding a nice run of form here. Uh, yeah, he, he assisted Piscina's goal. He's playing really well. You know, Piscina getting the goal too. You know, they don't have 
a guy, and I think that you know what's going to keep them from maybe having any upward mobility, and what Verona might have as far as a hard ceiling because they're ninth right now. So they're vi- and they're twenty nine points, so they are viable, and we do need to talk about them as a contender for Europe. Where they have a hard ceiling is that who is the guy that you're going to go to that's your consistent goal scorer? Um, you got a lot of good setup guys. You got Veloso, you got Lazovic, Amrabat's a good player. Uh, you know, Faraoni yeah. is capable of providing some good service, but you've got a mix of young guys here in front of you that, you know, they all contribute, but you'd like to try to have one of them emerge as a consistent guy that you can go to to score goals between Piscina, Vere, and, and Di Carmine. So, yeah. And I, and I would love to see with, a, with Stabinski. I mean, I don't know where he's at in his season and in, in terms of health and stuff like that, but you would think. You know, he would at least have uh, some say in this in terms of goals because he did fairly well when he was in Kievo and uh, early on with uh, with Hellas. So uh, I'm curious to see if he eventually gets his foot uh, foot grounded and be able to start scoring some goal for them because he is he has some talent there. He's a very talented player. Um, and and, Piz- and and Pazzini and Berino are where they belong. They're they're veteran yeah. players that come yeah. in and give you something give give you something different to deal with. At a later point in the game, I don't think that these guys are bona fide starters for Verona. I think they're, yeah. I think they're good in the roles that they're in. I don't think you, Pazzini's clearly not in a stage of his career where you can rely on him, you know, to be that guy. So, um, you know, Borini, you know, it's he's not a goal scorer, even though he scored last week. He's not a goal scorer, so you you can't rely on him for that. He's an energy guy that you need to plug in at some certain position, and maybe he'll pop up for a goal or two along the way. So, um, so that's what's missing from this Verona setup. But there are some players that are popping up, and I'm going to be curious. I mean, because some players are already getting plucked away from this team. Amrabat will be out. Uh, Romani is going to be out. Kumbula is going Napoli. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. So, I mean, and I think I said this a few weeks ago. Aren't we ahead of the curve all the time, Richard? Yeah, yeah. I said I'm this a few weeks ago. I said, don't be surprised to see some of these Verona players get plucked away on how they're performing this season. So, yeah. especially Vede, I really like this guy. I like that kid. Yeah, I think he's got a future uh, for sure. So, you know, uh, but you know, Juric is an under the radar manager of the season candidate. Yeah, with the he job is. he's done with this team. I mean, it's just astonishing that Hellas Verona is on twenty nine, is in ninth on twenty nine points at this stage of the season. Yeah, never would, never would have thought of that early on, beginning of the season for sure. So, yeah. um, another player that another team, you know, Parma. They've been performing well this season, and uh, you know, someone who didn't score in this game, but he's been doing really good things for them. Uh, Andreas Cornelius, he had his footprints all over this game. He was this, uh, you know, menace to the, the to um, Udinese's back line. Um, Kulisevsky will obviously get the the headlines with the goal. Uh, Galliolo also had a nice goal as well. But uh, I thought Cornelius, uh, he did a good job of just just doing what a forward should do, being all over the goalie. Again, uh, his shots, setting up his teammates. Um, he he's a good fit with them, and you know, obviously they they would like to have um, uh, all their speedsters. Gervinho. Gervinho, they'd love to have him, but um, and also Inglese when when Kulisevsky scored, he held up an Inglese jersey. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Cornelius is doing a very admirable job at at, at being the the main striker uh, right now with this team. Yeah, you, you had to fit Bobby English somewhere into this podcast, didn't you? I of course I do. Kulisevsky <laughs> <laughs> really did the one did it, but you know. Yeah. Um Yeah, he had no, he had an, he, he should have scored and Musso made an amazing save on him. Um I watched some of this game. Uh 
I think the presence of Yasmin Kurtic opens, you know, opens things up the way you yes, would expect yeah. things to open up if Gervinho was out there, albeit Kurtic is a completely different player than Gervinho. Yeah. And you've got to be aware of his qualities. And I think that that opens things for Cornelius and allows him to produce some chances or if it's going to be Inglese when he's in there. Um, so a a good pickup for Parma there and also take some of the pressure off of Kulishevsky. And he did, he did get substituted in this game. But I think that that's vital, that there's a lot more balance to Parma now with him in the fold uh, as they try to get players back. Um, I thought... Sepe was really good. Obviously, the back line was really good because Udinese put them under some pressure and produced some chances here. Um, but Especially Lasagna, yeah. Yep. Uh, lasagna was dangerous in this game. You know, and you've got Rodrigo de Paul lurking as well. Um, so I think that it's noteworthy. It's it's worth noting the performance of Sepe making some key saves to to keep Parma in it and to preserve a clean sheet. Uh, the combination of Bruno Alves and uh, uh, Simone Iacoponi uh, was solid. So um, it's a Parma team that they're sitting seventh right now and have enough of a structure to them that they could be fighting for that sixth spot for uh, you know for the long haul. I, there's a very interesting makeup to their team, and uh, if they can have. You know they don't need their midfield to be brilliant. They just need them to be solid, because you have guys like Kulishevsky, Kortich, Jervinho when they get them back, um, who can do the creativity. So that three-man midfield, and it was Kuchka, Scotzarella, who was really good in this game, and uh, Hernani. And Hernani has a little bit of creativity to him, but you've got a you've got a mix of of good technique and combativeness, especially with when you talk about a guy like Kuchka. You know, it's an interest. This is an interesting Parma team. You know, they're not going to blow anybody away when they play. They're going to win games like this. They're going to do two nil. They're going to live on their nerves. They've got great goalkeeping with Sepe, who's having another great season. So, you know, they're there's some you know like Verona. There's somebody we have to seriously consider because they're in seventh and they haven't gone away. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And then there's always Sampdoria Sassuolo, but we don't oh god, that. how? Wait a second, so. Okay, you have 65 minutes with a man up, and you're going to let the other team have the ball more than you. I know. What the hell was that? I know. You know, and you wonder uh, why you're in a relegation scrum. You know, um, and then you sub off your... Did you... uh, Before, the red card. The red card in the 25th minute by Federico Peluso. Did you agree with that? I thought it was an extremely harsh call. I did not. I didn't personally see what he did to um, uh, to. Uh, oh my God! I'm, the names today, Gabbiadini. I didn't see what he did to Gabbiadini. I looked like to me Gabbiadini just fell. Um, but that, I don't know if there was an elbow in there or what. But he got a straight red in that, and that really that didn't hurt his team, did it? Uh, made his maybe helped his team, but um, it was an unfortunate loss for Sassuolo with him. And I, I don't know if you saw it or not, but I watched it several times, and I could not see where the foul was to deserve a red card. Fifty-fifty at best. You know, um, I thought it was. I thought it was one of those that. Uh, it's 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 it was really marginal. I mean, yeah. yellow for sure. I don't think I could. I don't know if I I would send him off in that situation. But that official had an angle that the rest of us didn't. That felt 
that sending off was justified or or however it happened. So, um, you know, I think a VAR review would have been nice, but they didn't go there. Uh, they just stuck with the uh, the officials' judgment in that situation. Would love to get Michael Lisi's opinion if he saw it. So, yeah, uh, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, it, you would expect to change the game. You would expect Sampdoria to go on and romp, but you know, uh, they let Sassuolo have the ball, and I think even a, with a man advantage, I think Ranieri still had too much respect for what Sassuolo could still offer. Um, because they didn't, they didn't go into panic mode. They subbed off Hamed Traore, and they kept Berardi, Caputo, and Boga out there. So they were obviously, if they wanted to throw bodies forward and commit guys forward, they were screwed if Sassuolo could get any kind of reasonable counterattack with the combination of those three guys. And they tried a couple times. Even one play, I remember the, uh, the goalkeeper hit it over the top yep. uh, to Caputo, and he nearly had a, he had a good opportunity too. So Boga hit yeah, the post. They, yeah, Boga hit the post. Um, and Berardi has good chances as well. So yeah. they, I can't believe how, how many opportunities they had with the man down. And I watched a chunk of this game too. I flipped between this and the Parma game. And I, the thing that I, the problem that I have with Sampdoria um, overall, and I can complain about Gaston Ramirez going off and Caprari going on. And I'm like, okay, you're putting three strikers out there who are all functionally very similar. You know, Qualidella might be a little bit different from Caprari and Gabbiadini. Um, but you know, where was the urgency with Sampdoria? You know, did these players know that they're in 16th and that they're only five points from safety right now? You know, if you just went off of live uh, results at the time, that a win could go a really, really long way to give you a cushion and give you some comfort against the Sassuolo team that you probably, under other circumstances, with what they can bring to the table, you shouldn't be in a game against. Um, I just, I found it, I found the way Sampdoria played very disturbing because I didn't find the urgency to them. I think that, you know, Quagliarella produced a couple of dangerous chances in this game, but that was about it. You know, you had 65 minutes, you had 65 minutes with a man advantage and you can only produce three shots on target. That's, that's a problem with, especially with the, with the strikers you got. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. At least they're out of the relegation fight for now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, so yeah. So, uh, goals of the week. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, what did I just do with my list? Hold on a second. Give me one second. Uh, here we go. Uh, yeah, so my goals of the week, uh, I, I debated back and forth about what, who, which way I was going to go with this, but I think what I'm going to go with is um, number five for me. Ilicic's first goal, and it was more so about the assist slash steal by Palomino. Um, did a great job to take it from the defender with a, with a tackle. Keep the ball, then slide it into Ilicic for a tap-in. Um, wonderful play there by Palomino for this number five. Number four, I am going to go to the Hellas Veronis match and the, the bullet cross from Lazovic to Pesina for the header. Um, I really like that goal, uh, especially the pass in that one. Number three, I'm going to give it to Musa Barrow. Uh, his goal on the debut, uh, lovely shot, top corner, uh, far side. Um, hopefully, he continued to do such uh, good stuff for Bologna going forward. Number two is going to be for me, Lorenzo Insigne, um, ultimately getting the game-winning goal against Juventus. Uh, great performance overall, but his goal—I mean, the volley. What more can you say? It was just perfectly struck. And the only person who's going to beat that goal was obviously Ilicic from midfield. Uh, that free kick goal. 
What a goal by him. Uh, I mean, what more can you say about this guy? This guy's uber talented. And uh, with that, the pace on that ball from midfield, I mean, ridiculous. Sure. I like that. I think we're, we're, we're only different on one goal. Um, so, I mean, not in terms of the order, but in terms of the five that we're putting in. Um, I want to give some honorable mentions to some goalkeeping performances. Dragovsky for uh, Fiorentina. Uh, Donnarumma from Milan, uh, great work from them to keep their teams in it. Uh, Sepe with, uh, with some key saves for Parma, uh, to help keep them afloat. Uh, and then, uh, just some other individual performances. Uh, Sandro Tonali looked like Andrea Pirlo. Um, I mean, I did, did he, did he look like Andrea Pirlo to you from that deep line? That's just, when I watch him, I, that, that's what I see. That's what I saw. <laughs> and a lot of that was Milan respected him too much and didn't press him as yeah. much as other teams have. But, I mean, he put on a passing clinic in that game. And it's a shame that Brescia didn't get any goals out of it. I mean, at least for Brescia. And as a Milan supporter, I'm happy they didn't get any goals out of it. But um, but it was just – it was it was jaw-dropping to watch him perform. Um, so I'll, I'll throw some honorable mentions in that direction. Um and uh, let's get to the goals of the week. Number five for me is the Piscina goal. I thought that was solid. Yeah. Uh, beautiful cross from uh, Lazovic. I'll go with the barrel goal at number four. Number three for me is Robin Gozen's volley. Okay. Uh, against Torino. Uh, number two is the Insigne goal that ultimately was the winner for Napoli against Juventus. And then the Ilicic goal. I mean, how is that not the goal of the week? So uh, the just – from long range, but I will I will say because I did th- get a chance to think about it, I got two that they they're not Serie A, but I've got two that I think you know rival and are probably better than that one. Um, if you'll indulge me, yeah. uh, the, the Ronaldinho goal in the 2002 World Cup, uh, the free kick. Oh, that the free kick sent, over Samens. Yep, yeah, send that that, that sent Samen tumbling into his own goal. Oh, that was great. That was a great goal. Uh, and then I'll go all the way back to 1995 Cup Winners Cup final, Real Zaragoza and Arsenal. Uh, in back that was back in the old. That's when they were trying to do the golden goal. I don't know if it was a golden goal or if it was just at the end of second, um, the second period of extra time. But uh, Naeem for Real Zaragoza. Uh, just launching one, and I'm, I think that was Seaman again in goal for Arsenal. <laughs> so, so we're picking on Peter Seaman. We found a way to bring bring up a Peter Seaman reference, and not in a good way, twice on a Serie A podcast. So, or is it David Seaman? David, David Seaman. Seaman. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So those two. I don't look that one up. Real Zaragoza Arsenal Cup Winners Cup Final. Naeem. Uh, from distance uh, to win the Cup Winners Cup for the Spanish side uh, was one of the goals that I ever, when I was younger, I was like, oh my gosh, did that really happen? So, uh, <laughs> kind of moment. So, anyway, winners and losers. I already said my winner is Napoli. I, the week you you have a week like that, you're you're an automatic winner. It's hard to get past. Uh, and losers, uh, losers for me is clearly. Um, I'm going to go with Sampdoria. Uh, I know that okay. Torino got battered by Atalanta, but you have a man advantage for 65 minutes. You can only produce three shots on goal, a game that you need in terms of trying to get yourself some dis- some distance from the relegation teams or the teams that are in the relegation zone. And uh, you put that kind of performance up. It's not good enough. So Napoli's my winner. Sampdoria is my loser. My winners and losers coming from the same game. It's that At- Atalanta-Torino matchup. Uh, easy one to pick. Um 
Atalanta obviously for the seven goals, but the bounce back after that spall, embarrassing spall defeat, uh, and then you know obviously Torino giving up seven goals. I mean, wow! And it could have been easily more if it wasn't for Sidigu. Uh But what a performance by Atalanta, and what a dismal performance by Torino. They're my winners and losers. Sure. Your winners and losers, your goals of the week. Go to City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. Let's uh, wrap this up with a little transfer talk. Okay, we can talk about the done deals. We can talk about the speculation. I mean, Inter has been pretty busy, Richard. Uh, Victor Moses, Ashley Young, and now Christian Eriksen have all arrived. Uh, Ashley Young already making an impact, getting an assist uh, for Inter in their game against Cagliari. Uh, but let's talk about the new arrival, Christian Eriksen, and uh, what do you expect him to bring to Antonio Conte's setup? Um, dictating the mil- midfield even more so than they already do. Um, he's he's such a brilliant player on the ball. He's obviously got a free kick ability, um, but he'll be able to um, quarterback the, the midfield even a little bit more than they're doing so right now. And um, he is, I mean, when his game is on, he is one of the better players in the world, obviously, and he has been for a while, whether it's either for, for Denmark or uh, whether he was with Tottenham before. So um, he's, still, he's still got it in his game. People are going to say his, uh, his game has left him, but I doubt that. I think it was just motivation that it lacked him before at Tottenham, and he was just ready for a new, uh, new challenge. Um, so I think he's going to do really good things for Inter and um, hopefully for, for Inter's sake um, help make this uh, Scudetto race longer. Doesn't let Juventus pull away. Hopefully, you know, with his performances, both in the assisting, especially with the assisting, but also with you know his free kick abilities and set piece deliveries, um, help them uh, continue scoring goals and uh, dictating play. Uh, you know, game in and game out. Yeah, I, you know, you just you add them to the uh, playmaking fun between him and Stefano Senzi, two guys that are going to be able yeah. to keep the ball. Oh, my I mean, goodness. and you've got, I mean, Brozovic is capable of a good pass too. So you got some. Watering midfielder. Yeah, you've got some real technical quality now in that inter midfield. Um, we didn't even mention Barella, you know. Yeah, yeah. So they're just they're stockpiling the players now, um, you know, to get ready to get on a run. So it's going to be very interesting to see Erickson fit into this dynamic uh, with this inter team. We've already seen what Ashley Young can do. We know. I mean, Victor Moses is an Antonio Conte guy, so it doesn't surprise me that you know he's made this move. Um, and that he's, uh, he's, you know, he's part of this, uh, setup now. Um, Napoli, uh, looks like they have agreed a deal with Hellas Verona for Marash Kambula, uh, 20 million euros plus 4 million in bonuses for next season. We talked about this several minutes ago and we talked about this several weeks ago. Wouldn't surprise me that this Hella Verona team, Hellas Verona team will get picked over. Uh, I thought it would wait till summer. It's already starting. Uh, Kumbula going to Napoli. Uh, Amrabat le- pos- probably leaving if he hasn't left. And I think, uh, is it Romani? Is he going to Napoli yeah. as well? Yeah, 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 he is. As uh, uh, Napoli Undisclosed look- fee. Napoli looks to reinforce that defense. But does it make you wonder that it's probable that they're they're going to probably cash in on Koulibaly this summer. I mean, it's curious to me that they're making a move for defenders like this right now. Yeah, I think they're going to lose some bodies, and uh, unfortunately, I think Koulibaly is going to be one of them. You may see, you know, one of their uh, bigger name midfielders, and possibly one of their one or two of their strikers, uh, well known players, leave. 
Um, unfortunately for Napoli, just it, it seems so chaotic there that something's got to happen, something's got to change, and you hate to see Koulibaly leaving. You hope he stays in the league at least, but uh, you know, chances are it's probably going to be somewhere you know abroad. And uh, obviously unfortunate because you know having one of the best defenders in the league, if not the best defenders in the world, um, in the league to watch week in and week out is a, be a big miss. But um, it does seem like they're stockpiling defenders, and that's the most likely name to go. Uh, you would think uh, so. Yeah. Okay. Milan, um, talk about Suzo uh, possibly going to Sevilla. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be an 18-month loan uh, with an option to obligation to buy. This is the latest that I read about it. Um, and that it it starts as an option but becomes an obligation if Suzo makes a certain number of appearances for Sevilla over that 18-month period. So they're in the process of finalizing all of that. Um, give a brief on, I mean, Suzo's time in Milan. Started great, got really predictable, and Serie A defenses figured it out. Is that accurate, or, is, do you, or can you add to that? Only thing I would add to that really is, he, he, despite all the, you know, up and down from like you know, being one of the be- you know, better players uh, or having a really great start and then ending really poorly. He probably was the most, I think Michael Lisi said it, he's probably one of the most consistent players Milan had during that stretch that he was there. Um, obviously a set piece ability, uh, free kicks, uh, his, his crossing ability when he does get a chance to get with the left foot. Um, he, he does have a good left foot, but like you said, people figured him out and he couldn't figure out a way to, get a plan B or you know whatever and he would get out of game so quickly so it started out great I mean he did it really did with him but it just fell so it seemed like so dramatically but I mean I guess it is a steady decline uh through the years as more and more teams start to figure out what he does what he does and uh really week in week out we started seeing teams just shutting him down and he would get maybe one or two glimpses in the game so it was an okay stint here in Milan I think like you said started great um Pretty consistent, I think, overall. But uh, what you said is, you know, pretty much nail on the head. Okay. Um, on a scale of one to ten, with one, hell no, it's not going to happen. Ten, yeah, count on it. Uh, this uh, kid from Benfica, Florentino, uh, coming to AC Milan. Oh, one to ten. Um, honestly. I'm gonna give it like a, a three or a four. Yeah, I'm at a four. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I'd be great. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be ecstatic if it happened, but I don't see it honestly. Yep, would be a boost for the midfield for sure. I made the comment that if Milan are really going to move on from Suzo, and we'll have to see how this plays out. They're getting to the point where you better have. They're, if they're doing this, it's because they are ready for ready to bring in someone, and they've got something done. Um. You don't move on from a guy who will be your depth for the rest of the season because, let's face it, Samu Castellejo deserves to start in that position in the midfield for the rest of the season the way he's been playing. Yeah. Um, you don't move on from depth unless you have somebody ready to step in um, and unless you have some agreements in place. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, last one that I'll discuss on this uh Emery Chan looks on the way out to Juventus and going to Borussia Dortmund. It sounds like they the part all parties want to get this done. 
considering some frailties in midfield for Juventus, is this really a good idea? No, and and if if he is being flirted to be moved away, something tells me they have something up their sleeve that they're gonna bring somebody else to reinforce that midfield. I would hope um, because it didn't make sense to lose depth and quality. I mean, he he is a, a, certainly a quality player, um, especially when his game is on. And if you lose him, what happens if you get some injuries and you're you're really gonna be hurting? Um, yeah, you have some more attacking options you can bring out there, but you really want to have a midfield that can control the possession, control the ball. Um, and you need depth, especially when you're trying to go deep into Champions League, if that's your ultimate goal, um, and win maybe a ninth Scudetto. So um, I have I have to think there's something up their sleeve that they're going to have a replacement for him. But if not, that's going to be very curious to me because it's very un-Juventus-like almost, right? Right, it is. You're not planning for the future? You're just you know shooting from the hip? I don't know. Yeah, you know, unless they're perfectly content with some of the midfielders that they're rotating in and out of there now. Maybe they bring some youngsters from that they have on loan, bring them back to the squad. I don't know, so we'll see. Yeah, it's that that one's an interesting one, but it continues to uh, get legs. Um, so we'll hear. The only other thing that it did come up, uh, Sky Sport Italia, uh, with respect to Cagliari, um, Gaston Pereiro possibly coming over from PSV Eindhoven. Now, that's this is oh wow, that's way out of left field. <laughs> it is, it is, because Pereiro's a talent, but what a coup this would be for Cagliari to add to their midfield. But it's only speculation. Yeah, it is only speculation, uh, and I, I'm going to wait and see on that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. It is a way a way left field um, uh, call there, and uh, if it happens, wow, great! I mean, really great. But I uh, I hold my breath until I see it actually happen. It'll be uh, a, I'm certainly going to put my eyes on it now that I've you know I've heard about it and uh, see if it gains any traction or not. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good uh, fantasy, I guess, fantasy move, I guess. Well, it's. Apparently, uh, and this is from Football Italia. He's out of through Sky Sport Italia. He's his contract with PSV expires in June, so it makes sense for a Cagliari if they want a talent like this to see if they can if they can pay him. They could probably get him for a, a relatively low fee because it's like okay, PSV take what we're offering now, or he goes away for free in June, whether we have him or not. Right. So. You know, so Cagliari, if they're really interested in him, and if they want to, this is a smart move by them. They'll had they have some bit of leverage here. So, um, you know, so we'll see what happens. So, any transfers or rumors getting your attention? Go to at City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram and uh, tell us what you think about what we discussed or, or anything like that, or any ones that we're missing out on. And with that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of City. I sit down, Richard. Uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, just uh, the YouTube page, of course. Uh, we'll try to get some more content out there as well. Um, uh, other than that, I mean, just uh, keep listening each week. Uh, let us know, let us know if you there's any any uh, guests you want us to bring on, uh, teams you want us to talk about, players you want to talk about. Well, you know, we certainly want to run the gamut and, and give exposure to those teams and players that don't get as much uh, hype week in week in and week out. So, but other than that, you can find me. Uh, same place everywhere is at r underscore k h a r m a n. That's right, and you can uh, you can find me at ftc underscore twenty one. Um, you can find us. City uh, I sit down is on Apple Podcasts on SoundCloud. Uh, we have our own channels there. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, just about anywhere. Uh, you can find uh, podcasts. You can find us. 
and I will uh, double down on uh, Richard's recommendation to check us out, Syria Sit Down Channel on YouTube. Richard, we've got a we got to start doing some video where we're where we're recording this via video uh, and figure out how to make that work. Yeah, maybe. Uh... Maybe well, we'll see about next week. Maybe maybe next maybe next week. Maybe uh, maybe not Sunday because it's the Super Bowl. But we'll figure it out. And I think uh, that's a good idea. Yep. And also, I think uh, down the road, uh, uh, maybe setting up our setting up our YouTube channel live as we're watching the same match that everybody else is too. So yeah, I like that idea. Live reaction. I like that idea a lot. Yep. Big games. There's a derby coming around the corner. Yeah, that might be a good same. way to do it. And speaking of which, um, I do want to alert. Um, uh, you all that uh, at least I have you committed to it yet, Richard? I have. Okay, I have. so Richard and I we will be guests uh, on the play by play pod with uh, Jerry Mancini and Sabrina Belmonte, who uh, were on our podcast. Uh, well, Jerry's been on three times. Sabrina's been with us once, and uh, we will be on with them in a couple of weeks to uh, review uh, the Milan Derby. So we're looking forward to that, and we want to thank Jerry and Sabrina for the invite uh, to be part of your podcast. Um, only means we're going to have to figure out when to get them back on now, Richard. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're, we're we're looking forward to doing that. So those are a bunch of ideas that we're coming forward with. Any ideas that you guys uh, want to see from us? Go to at City I Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So with that in mind. Uh, Want to thank you all for listening, and uh, as always, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao, and rest in peace, Kobe.